Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Generative Work podcast with me, Sarah James Wright, exploring all aspects of future business and conscious leadership. and welcome to this episode of the Generative Work podcast and I'm delighted today to be joined by Sadie Sharp of Sharp Transformations who also has set up a not-for-profit called The Platform Project to support young entrepreneurs and has written a book called Breakthrough about her amazing successes in the organizational field and some of what it cost for her to get there. Uh, So Sadie, lovely to see you. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And so Sadie and I worked together, we think about three years ago. My idea of time is always a bit vague in the past. Yeah, it was. It's been a long three years, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A good few years ago. And Sadie has kindly offered to come onto the Generative Work podcast and ask me three questions about generative work. So Sadie, I think you've got some tough ones for me, but have at it. I have. I relish this when you said to me, think of three questions to ask. And I thought, oh, it's my time to get you back for all those really awkward, thought-provoking questions you asked me. So I'm loving this. Thank you, Sarah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm not so so sure it's a good idea, but hey, let's go ahead. (laughs) You're going to regret this. Uh, Right. So since I worked with you, as I said to you before, it's been one of the biggest transformational kind of experiences uh, for me personally, as well as professionally. But when people say, well, what did you actually do? I still struggle (laughs) to find the right words to explain the practice and what you do. So I thought for people maybe uh, like me, if you were to describe what you do, but to a five-year-old, how can you describe what you do in its simplest terms? And are there any kind of analogies or examples or comparisons you can throw in there to help kind of really understand what you do and the difference you make? Okay. So I'm, you, you can challenge me if I don't quite answer this question, but what okay. occurs to me around this is that five-year-olds, in a sense, don't need to understand this from a cognitive space because five-year-olds are still in that awareness of experiencing the world with their full being, their full senses, their playful curiosity. So in a sense, it's almost as if we're taking ourselves back to that five-year-old place rather than trying to you know, explain this to a five-year-old because I don't think a five-year-old would understand how as an adult we lose that natural connection with just life and what's going on around us. Um, and it's interesting because this question reminded me of my, when my kids were small, they were maybe a little older than five and there's two years between them. So maybe they were like six and eight, five and seven, something like that. And I was kind of strict about what they ate and, you know, didn't give them tons of sugar and stuff. But of course, they we didn't have TV either, but occasionally they would see marketing about things like breakfast cereals and, and they'd say, well, why can't we have that when we go shopping? And I said, well, you know, those things are full of sugar. They're not really very good for you. And my son in the back of the car, I can remember to this day the stretch of road we were driving down. And he said, but you know, why Why do they make it with sugar in it if it's not very good for you, for children? And it was just, and I felt like I'm going to have to break their little hearts by trying to explain <laughs> that there is something out there 
that doesn't give a shit whether they're eating healthy food. They just want to make money off them. And so as gently as I could, I explained that those companies were just kind of interested in you know, in selling their product and maybe they weren't kind of really thinking about how much that sugar could affect those children. And there was just silence in the back of the car, absolute silence. And I just thought, oh my God, you know, I'm kind of, it was just this moment of innocence lost that they think, oh, it's somebody out there could do us harm. And I think I, I mentioned that because, you know, if we're talking about a five-year-old stance, they have this natural ability to feel connected to everything. They haven't yet learned what we learn as adults to compartmentalize and to kind of swallow down the cost that we're paying just to kind of fit in with how it is in the world. So not to kind of explain to a five-year-old, but with that sort mm -hmm. of five-year-old sensibility, I think the deepest work that we do in this kind of generative way of working is to reset us back to understanding that of course we are one with everything in the world we cannot take ourselves out of that equation you know we live on this planet with its finite resources with all of these other people with all of the memories and experiences and everything that we've ever had going on for us and actually somehow we need to include everything to do with that when we come to look at how we are and how we're doing in life rather than cut off from some of those connected tendencies towards wholeness in order to just okay I've got to make money or I've got to do this job or I've, mm. I've got to push through you know I've got to go into that robotic mechanistic stance to get through whatever the thing in front of you is so I don't know if that's entirely answered your question but that's what it brings yeah. up in me. I mean, I guess it, it kind of rings true because, as you say, that concept of a reset almost, and it's kind of like you f you forget that that's who you are and how you operate. And I guess, obviously, you know, people often tend to overuse that onion analogy, right, with peeling back the layers. But actually, sometimes I think part of what you and I did was peeling back the the learnt baggage that you kind of forget what's at the core of who you are and why you do what you do. So yeah, I think that concept of a reset and unlearning all of that learned baggage is, yeah, is definitely a thing, right? I think that's it. And funnily enough, we've, we're putting together at the moment a generative leadership program, and we are seriously thinking about calling it the generative leadership unprogram because it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is kind it's of unlearning. that. Yeah. It is unlearning, absolutely, undoing some of that stuff that we kind of we acquire it so gradually. And it starts really in our education system doesn't it you know which wants wants us to be a kind of one size fits all it teaches us that the only way to get there is sort of to suffer and work hard and you know tamp down all your natural inclination to go off and play or try something different or question anything you know that it starts young and a lot of organizational life is also around you know conforming to something and, and not thinking about the price you're paying either on an individual level or on an organizational level yeah and I think it's interesting isn't it because I know that like say organizations there's just so many individuals inside them but being part of an organization is such a massive part of who you are and your identity and where you spend your time and your life and such isn't it and I guess that's kind of almost I guess my second question if I can pose that in at this point in time mm -hmm. 
a lot of the consulting work that I do with organisations, which now I do definitely kind of challenge from a slightly different perspective now, having obviously kind of worked with you, is, um, I guess, from an organisational level, if we had the opportunity to kind of almost have a bit of a matrix moment and say, do you want the red pill and carry on or do you want the blue pill? and see what happens like if we were going to take that kind of blue pill and have that blue pill moment and say if we really embrace the generative way of working what would that alternative reality almost look like like what organizational challenges and frustrations and things just wouldn't exist what would life work like it's a great question and I think that's something that again it's it, that that could take me years to answer but I, <laughs> I can I can give you a bit of it and just to go back a step to what you were saying about you know it, it's a lot of our identity how we are at work and as kind of organizational culture is currently set up we talk a lot about authenticity at the moment mm. but the fact that we need to talk about authenticity is a concern. It makes it a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like it's kind of showing us the lie that we don't show up at work as who we really are. And that we've, we've been taught to leave our human side at the door. And so uh, you don't let on if, you know, if something's going on at home, if you're feeling mm. like shit, if you're really unwell, you know, it's that idea that you've just got to go in there and perform no matter what. Yeah. So I think that would be one of the first things we noticed. I mean, I'd love to take the blue pill, but I'd like to be able to, for everybody to just show up as they truly are at work, mm. which doesn't mean that you just spend your time at work, you know, bitching about whatever your husband <laughs> did or something, you know, but that you are a whole human being. And that ev everything that you are, all that you are, can come into that workplace. So the, so the boundaries between home and work, I think, would just be a lot softer. So that there'd be a, an understanding that sometimes we need to be at home if we're not well or if we've got families or mm. if something's going on. You know, we wouldn't be like we wouldn't cut off from our home life and our well-being in order to perform at work because most of us I think we prioritize that workspace at the expense mm. of our home life social life health well-being so that would be one thing is that we'd all be able to show up there as whole human beings and I think one of the biggest differences I would love to see is that we could trust one another a little bit more in organizations and I think those things go hand in hand I think part mm. of the reason that there isn't a lot of trust in organizational culture at the moment is that nobody comes in as who they really are. <laughs> Everyone's got the mask on. So we're all a little bit like, well, what are they really like? What's really going on under the surface? And there's not a lot of trust between say management and teams. You know, there's a lot of driving work forward rather than really trusting people that maybe they know what to do and listening to everyone in the organization about what might be needed so i think that idea that we could have um it may be slightly flatter hierarchies not such a big chasm between the people up at the top and the people mm. at the bottom and a listening ear for anyone because wherever you stand in the organization you do have a perspective on what it feels like to work there and a lot of that gets swept under the carpet because, again, the organization does the same thing about putting this mask on. These are our values. This is what we care about. This is what we're doing. But 
you know, please don't look under the hood because you mm -hmm. might see who we really are. So yeah. something about more integrity around the whole organization, I think would be part of my blue pill moment. And the realization that to me, organizations are like beautiful systems of potential because they have an effect on pretty much everything. They touch mm. everything in life. You know, this coming away from that model of where it's just the organization and its money. Actually, if you notice that most of us spend most of our waking hours in an organizational space, you know, we give our best to it. So it has a huge effect on all of the individuals that work there. And that has an effect on all their family lives and their social lives. We're affecting the social field by being in that organization and how that organization is set up, how it treats its staff, how it treats its customers, how it treats its competitors, you know, can it see them as collaborators? All of that has an effect on the marketplace that it's in, the community that it's a part of. And of course it has an effect on the ecosystem as well. You know, mm. is it supporting people to be able to get to work um, using clean energy, for example? Mm -hmm. Just does it let people work from home? What is its kind of policy on, on kind of in, its environmental impact? So I think that awareness that because an organization touches all aspects of life, it has the potential to flow positive benefit to all of those levels of life that it touches. And, and has this awareness of this whole sphere of life that it's involved in. That would be my big kind of blue pill moment, I think. Mm. And you mentioned with the previous question as well that, um, you know, these things start quite early, like with education. And just one of the things you just mentioned there really resonated with me with a lot of the young people that come to us. And we do some kind of group work with them and say, you know, what's maybe if they've left school and they're not maybe thriving. It's like, what's your your most standout memory from school? And a lot of them where they didn't have the best experiences in school with teachers who are at their wits end because there's sort of yeah. systemic issues there in schools and education yeah, absolutely it's actually yeah. the one statement that some of them will say is things like my teacher said it doesn't matter that your parents are splitting up at home leave that stuff at home when you come to school you come to work and it's just those little statements like that and I, yeah. I appreciate why they come out because teachers are at their wits end and they have to deal with all of this in one classroom but it starts that thinking doesn't it as the sort of the, the authority parent child kind of thing and actually no no you come here to perform a job and this is the box you fit into and you yeah. need to conform to my boundaries in that box not your boundaries and who you are and that starts so early and for these kids to be talking about this five six seven years after they've left the education system it's scarred them yeah absolutely I mean that god that touches my heart Sadie I mean that's such a shame isn't it and I've heard horror stories even amongst my you know my children's friends about um, young people who have lost a parent, you know, their parents died and the expectation is, well, you've had a couple of weeks, you need to get back on with your exams. And you think, you know, who, who says stuff like that? And as you say, the fault is not with the teachers at all, because in my experience, the teachers aren't really in support of that system. You know, they're forced to drive that system forward. It's very similar to other organizations, you know, where it's like, we can't stop and wake up from the madness. We've just got to keep driving through nice. with the insanity. And it's as if, if we, if we thought we could stop, it would just be too much to think about. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like too big a problem to do anything differently. 
And I also think there's a little bit of guilt and shame in there too. Mm. There's a little bit that we kind of know that we're not really paying attention to what matters in life. And if we stopped and really thought about that, you know, you know the weight of thinking of what have I wasted or what have I been doing here? So it's almost as if, well, it's easier not to look than to stop and really mm. examine what is going on for me here? What's going on in, in the place that I work? But as you found, you know, with coaching, although that can be a bit tough at the beginning, and I found this, you know, because I've been on my own journey too with this way of working, it's a bit daunting at first just to try to stop and slow down and start looking into these deeper questions. It is a bit daunting at first, but then it's kind of my job to be super gentle and super supportive around that and really encourage people to take a look. Because I think once you begin to, actually there's a lot of relief to be had to realize there are two pills. You can take the blue pill. You know, it is, it's very much like The Matrix. I love that film. It's you know, it's kind of what we're talking about. So yeah, mm, definitely. Like I say, it is a relief. It's hard, but it's that kind of um, short-term pain, long-term gain kind of thing. And it's like it's like a relief. It's like the floodgates, like quite physically sometimes with all the tears. I think it was only my very last session with you where I didn't bloody cry, um, but it was so worth it. Like it, it had to come out because it took so much emotional energy to try and bottle it in and just carry on regardless and there's only so long you can carry on doing that without it physically and mentally scarring you so yeah Yeah. it had to to come out well it's interesting you mentioned the tears because you know most clients cry at some point in a coaching journey and everyone I still do it it's like you know the first thing we do is apologize And, you know, when you think about that, it's like something has touched you to the point of tears. Something is moving in you. Something matters. Something is touching your heart to the Mm. point where you're shedding tears. And the first impulse we have is to apologize for that. Yeah. You know, the reason people, you know, shed a few tears in this process, and I often describe it, it's almost like the plug, like you say, that emotion that's just had to be squished down and squished down on top of the stuff that you kind of can't bear to look at. It's actually giving people permission to say, okay, let's let's kind of um, unstop of that cork. Let, let's let a few tears go. That can flush out mm-hmm. some of the frustration and the tensions that you've been holding for, I mean, sometimes decades, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, let's let's have a few a few tears and let that go. That's fine, you know. There's really nothing wrong with a few tears. But um, yeah, like I'm saying, the the fact that we all apologise for that is kind of inhuman, isn't it? Yeah, and it's funny as well. I don't think you realise until you kind of let that flush itself out how much emotion you hold back from giving other people mm-hmm. if you're denying it to yourself which even yeah. as I say it kind of feels really fluffy but actually you know what it's I didn't realize quite how much I wasn't giving to other people until I went through that journey myself and you know doing that work on yourself just mm-hmm. opens up so many more opportunities and those kind of horizons you think I wouldn't have even felt capable to step into this really uncertain space around, you know, launching a not-for-profit and all those sorts of things, because I was like, well, if I can't see it definitely working from this four-planned, contingency-planned business (laughs) stuff, then I wouldn't have done it. But actually to say what will be will be and we'll figure out as we go, it takes a lot of emotional courage, but you can't do that if you're clinging on by your fingertips. 
Absolutely. And I think that idea of, you know, coaching, particularly this kind of coaching is, is giving you access to more of your own potential. Mm-hmm. Part of that is that when we are in that squashing down, when we've got the mask on, a lot of our energy goes into just keeping the lid on the stuff that we don't want to look at. And when we take that off, you know, all that energy kind of floods back into the system. But I mean, really, when organizations, I wish they would think more about this, because, it, you know, for me, I would much rather have a whole person coming in, bringing all their ideas, all their creativity, all their emotional intelligence, all their wondering. And, you know, that's what I would want to be working with, rather than this rather robotic person who just kind yeah. of brings their head knowledge and, and not much else. You know, yeah. we want creative people. And yet we set up an environment at work that squishes creativity out of all of us Mm, absolutely and that ability to operate not just as the shell that's useful in the context you're in right so it brings your whole self in but I think that it is worth recognizing then isn't it which I guess is my third question to you which was it takes work to get to that stage right so I guess having lots of you've been practicing in this area for a long time now and really honing your skill and I guess I'd be really interested to know like what first got you interested in working in this kind of a a sphere and I guess what changes have you seen in yourself over the years as you've been practicing and going through that work for yourself yeah And I think that's a great question because it's certainly been and continues to be a journey for me because this isn't, again, this isn't around this perfection where, okay, we arrive at somewhere, here's a body of knowledge, I can take a quiz in it and now I know. Um, You know, this, this is an ongoing live interaction with the whole of life. And, you know, that, again, it it sounds a bit (laughs) namby-pamby when you say these things, but actually, I I think I went through life always feeling like there was something in the way between me and life. I wasn't really living my life ever. I think I was really quite guarded for many, many years. And I started, um, even when I was at university and I went and did a law degree which was like I mean just soul crushing quite frankly (laughs) I know I know you know um and so sort of halfway through that I ended up um kind of getting into yoga and a little bit of meditation so that was the very start of me beginning to inquire into something into those sort of deeper layers and that continued on and off, interspersed with a hell of a lot of partying. Uh, but I always sort of had this thread of this inquiry into these deeper spaces. But I held it very far apart from work. And I ended up going into marketing rather than law because the law was so soul crushing. <laughs> uh, marketing was marginally less soul crushing. Uh, but those, those two things felt like they were always going to be held apart. And I think this is true for many people. It's like they have something outside of work that they just don't feel that they can bring their kind of passion into their day job. And then um, many of my friends had, had talked about this um, form of work called constellations. And I knew it was um, like a, a group process that could be a applied in a family context or in a work context mm-hmm. and so one of my friends who was involved in this and had done the training said oh why don't you come along to this workshop 
So I was like, yeah, you know, come along and have a look. And it was just that light bulb moment that I could just see how my interest in organizations, Mm -hmm. because one thing marketing does is it gives you this overview of the whole organization. Marketing is often the glue that connects all the parts. And so I had a great interest in how organizations could work and could be healthier because pretty much all the ones I'd worked in were not very helpful. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, and I'd had this interest in the sort of deep, deeper aspect of life. And in this constellation tool, I saw those things come together and it just felt like, wow, that's the thing that could kind of unite the parts of me. And um, I did something that was very untypical of me. And I just signed up straight away <laughs> to do the training. And I'm such a, you know, I'm a bit of a plodder by nature. Do you know what I mean? I'm normally very considered about everything. And it was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, And kind of leapt into it and was a little bit all at sea at the early part of the training because, you know, most of the other people were kind of management consultants and coaches. And I'd sort of come from this marketing background. And (laughs) I think I was the youngest person. You know, it was just a bit, it wasn't a natural fit on the surface but I loved it and learned a lot and did in fact two years of training so that was probably um, about 12-13 years ago I think and so that in terms of my work it enabled me to see a way that I could work that allows for this wholeness approach to life um, and my interest in what makes a healthy organization tick Uh, and so I have I do have my own I have a, a Buddhist practice And I always sort of encourage people to find a way to connect in with something larger than life. But that doesn't have to be any kind of spiritual practice. That can be a walk in nature. It can be art. It can be dancing. It can be hanging out with your family. Anything that you love to do that reminds you that there's something bigger out there. Uh, But I think my Buddhist practice has really shifted the kind of ground of who I am so that I've become through this kind of exploring all these different ways of being and working I've become more of myself just more and more of myself I feel a lot more grounded Um, I'm still a little bit of a plodder you know I can still find myself feeling a bit fearful Um, but realizing that I I have to take risks to be able to kind of bring Mm. this out into the world doing this podcast and not you know that's a bit of a risk for me it's trying something new it's a little bit in my stretch zone but it's really wanting to share these ideas and be a bit bolder than we have been of late around it um it is a difficult thing to explain to the people as we've been talking about because it is a complete shift it's not just something something else to learn some other course to go on something else that you can apply to how you're already working in an organization it actually is like from the bones out it's that deep deep shift in how you experience life, how you know yourself, how you show up in the world. And it's like that deep kind of grounding allows you to behave differently towards people, you know, have a different vision of what you want to do with your life and trust that I'm not going to get there just on my own efforts. There is this sense that life does the work with me. Again, sort of phrase that sounds, you know, what does that mean? But it's not just my own individual ego and will that creates movement in the world. You know, you can watch a plant, watch a child, they grow anyway, they do stuff anyway. And I think that 
being a parent, I have to say, also has really, really changed me because you see how kids are and realize, wow, we've lost that natural ability <laughs> to just stay curious and go where life takes you. So um, that sounds a bit rambling, but uh, does that answer some of your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, I think in order to help other people sort their stuff out, like you already said, you know, there's, there's work that you've gone through and done yourself because yeah. sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're bringing to the table or what's actually on the table and those sorts of things. Right. But I think, um, it was, it was nice. Like I said to you uh, before the first session when like we met and of course I've worked with coaches in the past and came along with my pen and my pad and got it out and it's like, right. Okay. So this is what we're, what I want you like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> right now put your pen and paper down you will not be needing that and I think you know the whole kind of doing work on yourself I was so ingrained in that if I work and push and strive and manage I can make stuff happen as you yeah. say to deconstruct that and kind of literally cut straight back to the bone it was very painful but like the the transformation I, I even now standing very flat the transformation has been outstanding and I genuinely think it's one of the most pivotal mo moments I guess um in my life and the things that I've done since would genuinely not have happened had we not had it so yeah I guess I just want to say thank you oh well that's beautiful to hear <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm so glad because you know I I I absolutely love what I do. I mean, I just feel like I have the best job in the world <laughs> because every time someone comes and sits down with me, it's, you know, I've, I've got the privilege of seeing this deeper potential that they know somewhere is in them. And the frustration is that they're not quite getting it out. You know, if mm -hmm. someone comes and ends up working with me, they, they kind of know something isn't working around what they're currently doing. And it, it's such a privilege for me to work with people and support them to find that route, you know, that path for them that yes, at first, it's a little bit tough because sometimes we have to kind of dig down into the painful there's always a reason that we have kind of shut ourselves off yeah. a little bit. Armoured up. Yeah. Armoured up. Yeah. Or even, you know, yes, there's that, but there's also that thing that we, you know, I often call it, we're standing on our own hose. We, we just mm. don't realise the ways that we're inhibiting ourselves. Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage for someone, I think, to come and look at that stuff with me to trust me you know that it's safe enough to be able to open up some of the things that have been painful for them that naturally cause them to sort of contract back into themselves but then it's such a joy like going through hopefully gently and lovingly and tenderly with people <laughs> some of those painful experiences they start to really find this extra potential and they're able to do all of those things that they've been kind of longing for like you said with like your book and your speaking <laughs> at the not-for-profit and you know you've just gone on to do so many different <laughs> things and that's you know that that's such a pleasure for me to hear about clients sometimes soon after we've worked together but sometimes years after you know they come back and say i've been able to do this and i mean that's 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 like the the best thing for me about this job really yeah i think the phrase that i kind of landed on by accident when it was just like falling out of my mouth is i kind of feel like i uh, the process i went through with you kind of helped me step out from underneath my own shadow yeah and it, yeah it, i didn't feel like i was a new me i just felt like i was the full me the full you that's it it's the real you and and I think yeah. that's the thing I can't put that in you you know that's not my ability it's all I do is kind of unearth what's already there or actually really point you to it because that's 
your work, you do the unearthing, you know, you discover that stuff for you. And I think that's also an important aspect of it, that because you know that you've found that, you know, you can always find your way back to like your true full self, even because all of us end up getting caught up in the in the day to day crazy again, you know, and it's that sense of just being able to stop pause check in again remember who you really are what's really important to you and, and take better care of yourself mm. yeah constant work in progress but at least now i can spot it <laughs> yes i mean it's true a constant work in progress but it's not so much hard work there's a lot of joy with it i think isn't there it's just a, a reminder that actually to have our fullness to have our truest happiness we need to keep an eye on the fact that we can tend to drift across to our old way of being yeah. cool yeah definitely thank you that was all my questions perfect well th thank you so much sadie and i wish you the best of luck with everything and uh, anyone listening do check out sadie sharp sharp transformations the platform project and sadie's <laughs> new book breakthrough which is amazing so thank you for joining us for this episode of the generative work podcast and what did you think if you have any questions or comments it would be great to get your feedback and if you would like to come on and ask me three questions about generative work, we'd love to hear from you. There are links in the bottom of the description for the email and website where you can get in touch. We're looking to build a truly collaborative community for people interested in working generatively, so all ideas welcome. And we look forward to exploring another topic with you next time. Drop us an email if you'd like an update on our next podcast release.